Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Good morning, I'm Kevin McLean. I'm Chief Investment Officer at Star Royalties. Star is a newly formed public company in the public markets for about eight months now. Uh, we are a precious metals and hybrid uh, green royalty and streaming company. Uh, we're 80% precious metals focused and 20% green. And I would like to point out that we are innovating uh, carbon credit royalties, uh, which we can talk about later. Brilliant. Kevin, good to see you. Haven't seen you since March. What have you been doing? Well, we've been busy trying to get some deals over the, over the finish line. We've got one announced this week, uh, last couple of weeks rather, for uh, a 2% NSR on the Elk Gold Mine in South Central British Columbia. And we purchased that for US 10.6 million. Yeah, I saw that. That is kind of why I wanted to speak to you because you're one of those sort of nearer stories when we spoke, uh, royalty stories when we spoke to you back um, in March. And yes, I'm intrigued by the the the, the green component. And let, let's talk about that in a minute. But right, you've got a, you've got a deal over the line. I want to try and understand the deal. Did you did you pay too much for it? If you look at the the published uh, mine production data, uh, we paid fair value at a five percent discount rate, essentially. And you can say, well, that's nice, but really, is that a table pounding deal or not? Uh, I, I think it is, and I, I'm going to tell you why. But if, if I can, I'll give you a little bit of background on the project itself first before I, I dive into the investment rationale. Sure. Okay. So first of all, the Elk Gold Mine, as I mentioned, is in South Central British Columbia, uh, a nice part of Canada, about three hour drive uh, east of Vancouver. It's a, it's a mine that's actually a bit under the radar. Uh, I've talked to a couple of our fund manager shareholders and they were not familiar with the project, to be honest. And the reason for that is that it's been a fairly rapid startup, um, $9 million of capital to get this going. And so it hasn't really made the headlines for a company that's getting off the ground. The reason for that is it's a restart of a former um, quarry operation and they're not building a mill. So that saves $100 million, a lot of time. Uh, they've made a deal with New Gold uh, to process all of their ore for the next 11 years at the New Gold, um, New Afton Mill, um, about 130 kilometers away. So this makes this a very low risk uh, environmentally and technically uh, project. There's no campsite, there's no mill, there's no tailings pond, uh, local workforce drives to work every day and they simply dig up the ore and haul it over to the mill that New Gold operates. So really uh, one of the lowest risk, easy opportunities you can get. Environmentally, this is a uh, project that has a, an alkaline host rock. So it doesn't have any environmental issues pertaining to uh, acid rock drainage, for example. The quartz veins do contain sulfides, so they would potentially contribute to acid uh, situations, but that ore will be simply piled on a, a limestone cap, which would absorb any acid and then quickly shipped off site. So there's no real issue. So quick permitting, but as easy as you get. Um, 11 year production profile, as I mentioned, starting this month. So this asset is getting us into immediate cash flow, which as you remember from our last conversation was the focus of STAR. We wanna have immediate or very near term disability cash flow. We're not buying long dated options on whatever property might be explored at some point in the future. We're all about building a cash flowing business and we've now actually completed our foundation. And when I say that, it's because we've now achieved with a doubling of revenue starting out of the gate, 
uh, free cash flow, modest, a few hundred thousand dollars of modest free cash flow in our first year of operation, which is one of our yeah, check the boxes uh, objectives this year. So we're buying 11 years of my life, three years at 19,000 ounces per year average, stepping up in year four to 65,000 ounces per year. This will be primarily open pit. Uh, in year four, an underground uh, operation is contemplated, but 82% of the ore is gonna come from open pit. Now, the exceptional thing about this asset is that the open pit ore grade is 5.4 grams per ton. The world average for open pits is significantly below one gram per ton. So as a result, this is a 554 US dollar per ounce, all in sustaining costs operation. So one of the lowest cost mines in the world. So our 2% royalty encumbrance, which actually has been on the property for, for some time, we bought it from a, a third party vendor, um, <clears throat> is not meaningful in the cost structure of the company. And I would point out that we actually tried to buy this royalty two years ago uh, when we first got started as a private company, but it wasn't for sale. So we're, we were very pleased, we're very familiar with the asset. When the opportunity came up to buy this, we were, we were happy to jump in and buy it. And <clears throat> I would like to just point out one thing. This was a competitive process to buy this. And when we heard about it, we said, look, we like this, we'd like to participate but there's several players here and we told the banker we're not the kind of guys that are going to pay top dollar so inform the vendor and, and see what they say and the answer we got back was um we will give you priority in this process if you agree to give us a, a little bit of star equity as part of the purchase price because we know the principles they know us they know what our stock is trading at and they say look we think there's upside in your stock so as long as you give us uh, 10 million floor cash, plus whatever else we negotiate on the price in equity, you can have an exclusive on this transaction. So we, we, did, we did it that way and, and we got the deal done very quickly. They sound desperate. I mean, why, why, why yeah, I know, I get it's a competitive process, but you know, if, if you win, I always question, well, why didn't anyone try and outbid you here? And if they need the money <laughs> up front, were they struggling to get cash in the marketplace? Um, the vendor is um, a project generator, exploration company, so they're they're never seeing any cash. They're they're simply, you know, generating projects, harvesting royalties, vending projects. Right. So they don't have a steady source of cash. So their balance sheet is is well, it's prospect generator's balance sheet. It's it, it's running yeah. on very low overheads and, uh, and and low costs as well. I appreciate. So, but is this the kind of deal? If it's going to spend the first three years generating nineteen thousand ounces a year, are they going to generate enough cash to be able to do the things which are going to allow them to create cash so that year four they can be in a position to produce sixty five thousand ounces? I mean, how do you like your ex fund manager? You kind of got yeah. actuarial eyes here. You're going to look at this from a very heavy risk perspective, what were the things that you needed to believe about their ability to move this forward? Sure. So again, this is a $9 million CapEx project. Uh, as of July 31st, they had 15 million in the bank. Uh, at say 20,000 ounces a year for round numbers at 554, all in sustaining their margins are $1,200. So there's $24 million free cash flow there to play with. But they say the question is the same. What, 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 do you, what can they do with that that can unleash the potential uh, of the open pit? What, what they're going to do with that is um, plan and develop an underground component while expanding the pit, which would require a pre-strip. So there, there'll be some capital involved in doing that, uh, but they plan to do that in year four. Okay. 
as well, most importantly, they plan to keep drilling. So they've just completed a phase two drilling program. Uh, the phase one drilling program for a couple of million dollars found a quarter million ounces, okay? Now, the phase two drilling program is complete and in the bank. We don't have the numbers yet, but the company is claiming publicly or stating publicly their objective to add another couple of hundred thousand ounces to the mineral inventory with this drill program. So let's talk about that because this is important. We paid 10.6 million US. Yep. In gold ounces, that's 6,000 ounces, okay? This company on their recent drill program hit out of 41 out of 41 drill holes. Their finding cost per ounce for gold was eight bucks. Astoundingly low, okay? 100% hit rate, $8. The, drill two, the phase two drill program, they spent a couple million dollars. If they continue with that sort of finding cost per ounce metric, they'll find another um, 250,000 ounces. We've got 2% royalty. So that's 5,000 ounces gross. When you allow for 92% mill recovery and 89% uh, retention of what comes out of the new after mill, because new gold takes 11% for processing the ore for them, that works out to over 4,000 ounces of payable gold attributable to STAR. Now we paid 6,000 ounces. If phase two drilling is the same as phase one, we're getting 4,000 back instantly. When phase three comes along, similar scale, a couple million bucks, if, again, if, the finding cost and success rate is the same, another 4 million ounces. So it's conceivable by middle of next year, we've just added 8,000 ounces of payable gold attributable to our inventory. And we paid 6,000 ounces for that. It's incredible. If you, if you turn the, the math around a little bit, um, even if they found uh, a couple hundred thousand ounces, so not quite, if the finding costs went up a little bit, we would be getting uh, at, at, if 200,000 ounces were discovered instead of 250, we would be getting about uh, $9 million of gold value from the phase two drill program that's already in the bank. Our market cap is $30 million. We're getting 30% of our market cap. Hopefully, if the company meets their objectives from something that's already in the bank, and then potentially another 30% or 40%, depending on the success rate on the next drill program. So it's quite conceivable that we kind of got this investment for free uh, within a year based on, on, on drill success. Now, you want to ask a question? Well, right? I, 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 there's a lot of what's ifs and buts and cans and all, the, all the, the other stuff that you say there's a lot of assumptions there which you know you've got to be you've got to believe that that team is capable of, of delivering that they will start generating some money um yeah. you know and hopefully you know in double quick order and but you you've made a really big call and that's what intrigues me you've got we well, you talk about in the press release you know having 14.9 million bucks left off the money that you raised um beginning of the year and this is a big chunk of it 10.6 yes. plus costs, you know, let's, let's say, you know, heading towards 11, uh, all, all in, you really placed a big bet here. Because is it, was that because you, 
it can't be based on, I, I think, a, a bunch of assumptions about what this management team is going to be about. So you also needed to make a big statement in the marketplace in terms of, one, getting a deal over the line, and two, potentially looking at some near-term revenues coming in. That was okay. also important for you. So yeah, how, how sure. did you weigh up paying what you did versus the need to make an impression on the market? Yeah, so first of all, we're paying 10 million cash in the balance in equity. Got it, sorry, the 0.6 in equity. Okay. Here so we've got about you know 4.9 left. Uh, legal costs were not high because this was a, a third party asset. We just you know got the lawyers to look at the agreements and it doesn't cost that much. Um, in, in terms of why this and why now and, and how we think about the market's reaction to what we're doing, uh, again, we wanted to get to free cash flow quickly. Uh, we wanted to save jurisdiction. We wanted low technical risk and we wanted wealth creation. The last time I was on the show, I, I think I stated pretty clearly that to own an operating gold mine and, and make your 5% discount rate return, really who cares? Uh, you're not getting compensated you know, for the risk attached to a cyclical asset with all kinds of things that can go wrong as we know. So you have to be compensated to take that position. And if, if we were only getting 5% from the Elko projects with no upside or whatever, it would be like, a, okay, kind of okay, but who really cares? Um, the number one reason for buying it, and my focus in my career as a portfolio manager, the number one way to make money, there's three ways that you make in a flat gold price environment, assuming gold is steady. There are three things that have to happen to make a gold stock go up, okay? There's wealth creation yield, which I'll define in a second. Uh, there's risk transition yield, which I'll define in a second. And there's free cash flow yield on enterprise value, which everybody understands, okay? So you're sitting there clipping free cash flow coupons, all things being equal with a, a decent long mine life, your stock will appreciate by the cash going up in the, in the bank account every year. The risk transition yield is what happens when the market reassesses the risk attached to an operating asset or an expiration asset. And they say, look, this thing was at a 17% discount rate while they're building the mine, now they're in production, let's take it to a 5% rate. And you can get a lift in the market as the market re-rates the risk on the asset. Okay, that's number two. By far, the number one uh, way of making money in the gold sector is wealth creation, as we know, you know, find that expiration story, but you wanna find uh, wealth creation through expiration in a safe and comfortable way, uh, if you can. Uh, you can buy expiration companies and that works out, sometimes it doesn't, but if, if you're buying self-funded expiration that has a track record of wealth creation that I just described to you for this asset, and again, I agree with you, there's no guarantees that any of this will happen, but I'm just saying based on, on the observable data, this is an exceptionally um, high potential wealth creation asset for us which we think out of the gate, we're getting a 30% return on, and we think we might get another 30 next year, et cetera. Uh, so if you look at the, um, the factors, let's look at Star as a company. You know, we've got about 40,000 ounces on the books now, payable to us. We just paid 6,000 to get this, and we've got a few thousand coming with the expiration program. We've got 40,000 ounces on the books. You know, if, if gold's at that's 70 some odd million dollars US in value, we've got a few other peripheral assets or 70 some odd million dollars of sort of assets and, and the stock's trading at 30 million Canadian dollars. It's trading at a you know discount to NAV. You can debate what that is, but let's say it's a 20, 25% discount to NAV. Um, and we've got free cash flow yield now, but it's not material. Okay, a few hundred thousand, who cares? Uh, it will be material. 
in the latter half of next year as the Copperstone asset ramps up and starts kicking out 5 million US to our account. And so we're looking at 2023, 24, 25, 26 uh, at 6 million US free cash flow a year on a 24 million, a 30 million Canadian, 24 million US uh, company. So we're, we're, we've got a 25% pro forma free cash flow yield coming up to raise the stock annually as we add cash to the balance sheet. We've got the risk transition yield of 20% plus and we've got the wealth creation yield now that we're adding. So when we're looking at STAR and, and going back to your question of, you know, what have you been doing since the IPO and why this and why now? Um, it's because we're trying to address all of those drivers to make our stock go up. We want to de-risk it. Uh, we want to add a wealth creation parameter to it. And we want to trans- transition into meaningful free cash flow. Right. Okay. And and. Thanks for that breakdown, folks. Some quite useful stuff there, so generically um, as well too. Um, you you mentioned obviously uh, Copperstone, uh, and, I, and, yeah. I, and I do want to talk about that in a minute. But sure. given the numbers that you've just kind of outlined for us, and your expectation, there's the the kind of um, a, a cash flow guidance from you there in, in a way. Um, you're, it's not going to be enough to achieve the thing that you said to me last time out, which was this needs to be a hundred million dollar market cap company to get noticed, to be significant, yes. to be meaningful, and to allow us to go and bid on things that we want to go and bid on and to be able to raise capital more effectively, more efficiently than we probably can now. So That's correct. Right? So you, they, those are things you said. You, that's the one target that you, you set yourself. Yep. Copperstone and and obviously um, Elk Goldmine aren't going to be enough to do that. So you're going to have to go out and raise some capital, are you going to be able to do it off the back of this deal? Well, people are going to look at this deal and say, hey, that's a smart move. Let's give them some more money to go off and do the same thing. Yeah. So uh, everything you said is correct. Um, when we look at our, our game plan going forward and five million bucks in the bank, how do, what do you do with that? Okay, you can do something, but it's not going to possibly move the needle. So, so what's the game plan? Um, so I, I'm going to say this first. I touched on it last time, but we're in a position now where if our stock went to zero for the time being and stayed there, what would we do? Okay, we're denied capital. We don't have enough free cash flow yet to get credit. Uh, I will say that management will, will bridge uh, some amount of money if needed to, to do some deals uh, at favorable terms to start. But if nothing else happened and we're frozen, then we'd have to wait six, nine months until the 5 million comes from Copperstone and, and then we're back in business again. Okay, that's a, like the extreme disaster scenario. In terms of Q4, uh, the game plan is, we are advancing, uh, as you talked about at the start, carbon credit royalty opportunities. They don't come with the big tickets. They're not at this point, they could be bigger, but at this point they're not. They're hundreds of thousands or a few million. We can do a few of those with our current balance sheet. Um, but we have realized uh, very quickly that the carbon credit royalty innovation that we've brought to the market uh, is a winner. Okay? We've had a lot of interest in it. We've had a number of parties offer to write us checks to get involved in that business. Okay? So we've decided to adjust our, our business model. The 80-20 precious metals green split that we started out with we think that limits us on the green side. We think we can grow the green side much faster and potentially much faster than the gold side. And to be honest, the returns are superior. So why not do it? 
Okay, so what we're contemplating now is setting up a subsidiary, which we're calling Green Star Royalties. That's actually been done already, and then bringing in a capital partner to uh, that independently of Star. So by bringing in a capital partner, what I'm talking about is vending in our current carbon credit assets, as well as those we expect to buy shortly, uh, vending them in, having a partner come in and take a stake in that company, we'd still control it. Company come in as a, as a bank, if you will, as a green bank to come in and take a stake with a right of first refusal to participate in the growth of that incubated Green Star company. We would then re-monetize by vending those assets into Green Star. We'd re-monetize them by bringing out capital back up to the parent company, Star, by selling that capital stake, that equity stake to a partner. So we think we can actually spend some money and then instantly replenish it. Um, and that would be going into Q4. We also think that the partner that we, we hope to bring in uh, would, would very much impress the market. So we think we, we can now drive the company forward with even with our $5 million um, in a very meaningful way by emphasizing the green aspect of our business. Do you, th and this do you, do you, do you think you've kind of, I mean, I like the, the green element of it. I like it a lot. Uh, I don't yeah. think there are many players out there. And I think that it's greatly misunderstood at the moment, but at some point it, it will level out and people will understand it a bit better. But do you think in some way you should have made that decision a year ago and said, look, we can take all of our money and we'll put it in this much more profitable, your words, um, yeah. you know, sector and skip the gold thing? Because the, the, the gold royalties, it's kind uh, of, you know, everyone wants okay. to dive in, a lot of new starters, right? Um, could you have skipped doing the gold elk deal? I uh, said the gold elk, the elk gold, <laughs> gold elk. You never know. Uh, it, it may be, it may be. There's not enough money to produce. Uh, elk gold mine deal, just skipped it completely and just, you know, really backed the spin out that you're talking about now. Do you think the market would have forgiven right. you for that or understood that? Yeah, so uh, we've actually had a couple of shareholders say to us that, uh, look, now that you've dipped your toe in that in those waters, would you consider flipping it from 80% precious, 20% green to, to vice versa? And we actually said, actually, yes, we would, but we think the best way to do that is to separate the structures and have one incubate within the other. And a year ago or two years ago, uh, you know, we were negotiating deals in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. It really wasn't enough to move the needle. We got a couple done, but you know, and we think the returns are very good, but not enough to move the needle, not enough to support a public company. Uh, we've found since the IPO, I'll tell you right out of the gate from the IPO, we were offered a $15 million uh, forestry conservancy uh, carbon credit royalty opportunity. And at the time we could have, we could have done it, but it would have been hundred percent of our cash and it wouldn't have cash flowed for 18 months. And so we thought, eh, you know, we could wait 18 months, but we'd be waiting for 18 months with people saying, okay, you're tapped out. Yeah, it looks good a couple of years from now, but you know, let's just go to sleep on Star Royalties for two years. So uh, we thought we could do both successfully. And to be honest, um, it was a learning curve for us. There's, there's various federal provincial protocols involved. There's international protocols, Kyoto. It's a bit of a learning curve. But now that we've gone down that learning curve, uh, we are finding that <clears throat> the scalability of the carbon credit royalty space is enormous. We are currently pursuing regenerative agriculture 
carbon credit royalty opportunities in the U.S. And, you know, there's a billion acres of farmland in the U.S. Uh, incredibly scalable. And we think we can be there first. And, and then we need a separate vehicle to scale that quickly. We may be able, we can scale that faster than we can scale the gold. So by definition, we're going to go to that 80-20 green if we don't do anything. So the way we're going to do it is to incubate a separate green vehicle. Why wouldn't you just sell the gold royalties or NSRs and focus on that in, in uh, this vehicle? Oh, they're near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, look, there's... So, so money, Kevin. <clears throat> correct. Um, first of all, look, I think as as well-defined a bull market we have in carbon credit pricing going forward, despite the lackluster action of gold over the past year, uh, there's, a, there's a super bull market in gold coming too. It's an asset class in a space you don't want to not be in. Tell me about that. That fascinates me because I, I spoke to CEOs for the last 12 months and I've had lots of different views about what, what's happening, why people are behaving like they are, especially in the last quarter or so where it's the normal rules mm. don't seem to apply. You, you've you know, referred to your fund manager past. What, what is your take about what's going to happen in 2022 and why? So look, in, in 2004, when I joined Century Investments, I went around Canada saying, look, the U.S. Federal Reserve can never run tight monetary policy again. The U.S. fiscal position is too stretched to allow them or to enable them to borrow at real rates above 2%. So that's my definition of, of border. That's the borderline between soft and, and tight money, 2% real rates. I said the U.S. can never do that again because the, the balance sheet of the U.S. government can't take it. And, and that call has actually been correct, except for two quarters in 2007 when real rates got above 2% for that six-month period. And then the market collapsed. Real estate collapsed. The, the bond, the, these bond packages collapsed. Everything collapsed. And since then, we've been nowhere close to 2%, and now we're severely negative. And even though the Fed starts talking about tapering from time to time, recall that in 2018, they actually tried to uh, reverse quantitative e easing, so they get quantitative tightening. They got about a half a trillion, $500 billion off their balance sheet before the, the market couldn't take it anymore. And so they tried it, it immediately reversed course, and now we're in a situation because of COVID where we are probably uh, six or seven years ahead of where the Congressional Budget Office predicted, predicted the debt would be in 2015-16. I remember that year because I was marketing this, this topic. And in 2015, I thought the US debt would hit 26 trillion by 2025. We're at 29 trillion now, and it'll jump over 30 in a heartbeat as soon as these debt limits are raised. And we're at the point now where if you look at the, the debt service um, obligation of the US, I calculate that uh, my, my threshold for insolvency, de facto insolvency, is 30% of cash flow um, being used to service the, the interest on your debt, okay? The US hits that, uh, it, a couple of years ago when I, when I was still a portfolio manager, that number was around 4.4% interest rate on the US. And it's now got a, it's got a three handle and it's soon gonna be a two handle. And what that means is that if interest rates rise to a point of two or three percent again, you get to a point where uh, you take a you take even a four trillion dollar revenue situation in the U.S. Optimistically, they'd be paying like one point two trillion on interest on their debt. Okay, and their debt could not trade in a free market anywhere near 
current yield levels. They're, they're basically people, if you were going to the bank with a mortgage request, they'd say, you know, get lost. So in my mind, the ceiling on, the, on what interest rates can be keeps dropping. It's gone from four, it's got three, and it's going to be two. And, and modern monetary theory is here to stay because there's no reversing. Now, what I will say in the US's favor is that they can get away with this game for a couple more years because 25% of the federal debt outstanding is held by the Federal Reserve. Another 20-odd percent is held by the entitlement programs. That's effectively interest-free money forever because the Federal Reserve rebates the interest paid to it on their debt holdings. So it doesn't cost the government any, anything. Here's your check, they give it right back. It goes into the budget. On the entitlement program, uh, interest rates there are mandated to be higher than market, but that money never gets paid either. Okay, we owe you how much? Okay, here's an IOU. It's just, it's IOU. So almost half of the US debt now, even at these levels, is essentially interest-free to the US. So you have to factor that into your calculation of, of when insolvency or perceived insolvency will actually hit. <clears throat> but the point is, there's nothing in the, in the works, including these infrastructure spending programs, et cetera, even as the debt was parabolic, the, the spend requirements are just escalating further. So there's no reversing a parabolic path in a, in a soft, easy way. It always ends badly. So what's going to happen with MMT is it'll, it'll become a thing. You know, Keynesian monetary economics is dead. It was never actually applied properly anyways. They never took the debt down during the good times. But Keynesian monetary economics is dead. We're now in full MMT, and it's going to stay that way forever. And it's going to stay that way because it has to. And then you're going to have uh, necessarily inflation have an upward bias. And in terms of inflation, I don't care what the government statistics are. In my life, you know, I'm in my 60s. I remember what things cost in the 1970s, cars, bread, tuition, homes. And I used to go around as a portfolio manager and say, look, in the last 40 years of my life, all the key things that matter, houses, cars, tuition, et cetera, 10 bagger, everything's up with a zero on it, okay? If you, if you look at the reverse engineer, the compound inflation rate for those key things in your life over 40 years, it's like 5.9%. So for my life with tight money, because don't forget interest rates were double digit. We had, we had positive real rates that were three, four, five, 6%. You know, in a tight money environment, inflation was 5.9%. Now they've, they've changed the, the measurement of inflation, of course, with these hedonic additions and I've seen recent recalculations of current inflation based on 1970s metrics that suggest inflation is 12%. Whatever it is, it's, it's not two, it's not three, it's something higher. So when you look at gold, you know, which is, a, which is an asset class that reprices itself in a debasing currency, okay, based on real inflation, not based on government statistics, it's probably got an upper driver right now that's in high single digit per annum. Okay. And if they, if inflation ever catches a bid here, you know, I don't, I'm not predicting it. I think there's an upward bias to inflation, but I'm not going to make the call that inflation is going to be X, Y, or Z. I'm just saying that it used to be 5.9% under tight money and, and conservative balance sheets, relatively speaking, compared to now. So going in the future, the balance sheet, conservative balance sheet thing's gone. It's now wild balance sheet. And it's money, it's free money and whatever. So there's no way that any hard asset 
uh, real estate, gold, farmland, everything's going up. Everything's going up. Okay, but gold went faster. Gold moved faster. Okay, you said the the U.S. government's probably got a couple of years. Okay, you said that at the beginning of that that, of your statement there. What do they need to do during those two years to make that three years, four years? Is there anything that they Um, can do, or are we doomed? So what they need to do is is not have the Fed taper. It's it's not the government because the government's not going to change their stripes. They're going to keep wanting more money. It's all up to the Fed, and and the Fed has to taper as slowly as possible. The, the, lo- the slower the Fed tapers, the longer the game goes. Because if you actually have to have the free market have price discovery on bond yields uh, in this environment without the Fed assisting, come on, the market's not going to accept one or two percent. It's going to be much much higher. Okay, terrifying. Uh, right, <laughs> gold. gold. Gold's the way forward. Um, what, what would you say to? I mean, the other the, the strange thing is happening with gold. It, it, it's like it's a good price. Seventeen fifty. I take seventeen fifty every day of the week. Um, but the markets don't like it. They're distracted. Um, so gold equities under a lot of pressure. Most of the charts look very very similar at the moment. You think next year could be a good year for them, or are you at all? Uh, concerned about, and you know, even if you use a royalty company, which is obviously much lower risk, lower capex, low, low, you know, it's it's a it's a much safer bet than actual investing in gold miners. But yeah. are you concerned about conversations around things like Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and digital money and what that could mean for people's perception of gold as a safe harbor, even for a royalty company? Yeah. So I would say, you know, my kids who are in their 20s, um, you know, have no real concept of gold in, in their asset world. Um, I think most of the world is losing that connection with gold as, as a way to preserve uh, wealth. Uh, digital coins are certainly uh, replacing gold to a large degree in the minds of young investors. Uh, but I think the whole digital currency uh, game, uh, maybe game is not the fair word, but um, I actually think it's being allowed by, by governments to prep the markets for governments digitizing their currency. So this is like the training wheels. You know, have, have fun, play with these things, and get used to digital money because we're going to digitize the financial system. And just my viewpoint, they're going to digitize the financial system. There's there's a lot of good reasons for doing that. And think, explain, explain that what that what you believe that means. I, we've had a couple of people come on the show, but you know, for the sake of wholeness of this conversation, explain what that means. Yeah, it's just mean cash money is going to disappear. Um, everything is going to be done in digital transfers and bank accounts. Um, the governments, which are financially stressed, would have more control over taxation. Okay, if they've got access to your digital bank account and you owe them money or they think you're a criminal or whatever, they, there's going to be ways that they can get more cash. And, and removing the underground economy, by the way, I think is a, is a positive thing. If we can remove, um, you know, not tax, un, unreported taxable income and criminal activity, that at, at in theory, the marginal tax rate could drop. Um, wh- whether it will or not, who knows. But I'm not against digital currency. I just think it's a more efficient way to do things. And I think... Um, as the financial situation gets a little more stressed at some point in the future, there's gonna to have to be a, uh, a restructuring of sovereign debt globally. 
And that restructuring might be more facilitated by a digital currency format than otherwise. And, and if you're going to restructure things, you don't want to have give investors uh, or citizens a chance to go somewhere else with their assets. Because if they have that chance, then you're going to have all kinds of uh, volatility, negative volatility in your currency, and it's going to really upset the apple cart. We know what happens in Argentina and other places around the world when, when the governments get offside. So I think the digital uh, wish list, in part, not, not spoken, not advertised, but I think it makes sense that the government would feel more comfortable in the future, planning ahead, having to restructure their financial obligations if they had digital control of the financial system. Well, given the um, Pandora Papers leak uh, recently, it's, you'd have to redefine what illegal uh, was, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Look, legal is whatever the government wants it to be, and illegal as well. So I'm not going to opine on that, but it's, it's, not, a, it's not a steady state. Yeah. Hey, well, like, I'd love to have a conversation with you about uh, about that uh, an, another time. I better get back to you, uh, Copstone. Um, again, you're expecting a big check at the end of the next year. What gives you the confidence that they're on track? So we we meet with uh, Copperstone Management. That's now Sabre Gold. Uh, they've merged with Golden Predator. We meet with them monthly, and we review their their progress on mine development. And we had a recent conversation uh, on Monday of this week. So with Copperstone, um, fairly simple restart project, but changing the mill to a leach for concentrate, uh, which is probably the biggest thing I have to, to deal with. They've had two, two issues, which I, I are, are minor, I think, and one is positive, one was negative. But on, on the whole, um, it slowed them down by, I, I think, about four months in, in their development. And I'll, I'll just explain briefly. They had a, a drill contractor who got themselves into difficulty and took their drill rig off the property. And it was tough to replace that drill rig. So it slowed them down by a few months in mine planning. That's been resolved, but it, it, it gets slowed down by a few months in mine planning. They also had their president, uh, Martin Kostick, hired away by another resource company, which offered him chief executive officer uh, position and then probably more money. And we, we talked to him when he left and we asked him, is there any, anything about Copperstone that's motivating your decision to depart? And he said, not at all, not at all. This is just a, a good career move for me. It's a, it's a good opportunity to step up to the CEO position. On the plus side, we know Martin, we love Martin, but they replaced Martin with a fellow named John Gallicini. And John Gallicini is, is a rock star. Uh, we're so impressed with him. And, uh, and also with some additions now from Golden Predator, who's merged with the company. So John uh, used to run uh, North American operations for Phelps Dodge. We had a senior operational uh, position with Kinross. He's actually won awards uh, for productivity enhancement uh, in his career. So he's, he's really a whiz kid when it comes to optimizing mind performance and optimizing productivity. So he's come in and he's putting his stamp on the mind plan. Um, Part of that involves a few minor tweaks to the mill circuit, um, a thorough investigation of the mining methodology throughout the different zones on the property. And you know, basically check, check, check a lot of things that that's what he does. And he's gone through them all with us. And we think the he's added value to the projects uh, for them and for us. And so we're not pleased ever about something being four months behind, but at the end of the day, uh, we're very satisfied with what, what, what's going on. 
Okay. Well, look, um, again, we'll, we'll probably have a proper look at what, what is going on there. Um, and uh, next time we speak, perhaps we can we, we can we can talk about um, talk about that. Um, look, you, you kind of briefly mentioned the carbon offsets component, and maybe that's a, that's a, again another conversation for another day. I'm just so conscious of time here that perhaps we yeah, need sure. to make, need to move on. So one two percent NSR on Elk Gold Mine. Um, you, you sound like you're very happy about that, and you've kind of yes. laid out Sabre's Sabre Gold's uh, timing um, for you know revenues coming through there. So like, appreciate you coming on. I'd like to see a lot sooner than uh, we managed. I mean, March, a long time ago. We can see more regularly. Let's try and see, speak before Christmas, okay? Yeah, that's that's good. And I think you're probably going to be speaking with, uh, again, Alex Pernan, our CEO, on the green side of the business. Okay, yeah, don't mind that. Yeah. In, in, in the next month or two as well. Beautiful, beautiful. I'd love to do that. Uh, thanks for the offer. Okay, uh, Kevin, lovely to speak to you. We'll speak, see you soon, okay? Great. Thanks, Matt. Great to see you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.